May God have mercy on us as we open His Word, as we hear from Him. May His mercy freely flow. I want to invite you to take your copy of the Word of God and open with us to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. So go ahead and grab your hand sanitizer. I mean, not your, not your hand sanitizer. Get your heart sanitizer, the Word of God, and open with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. You know, because of, of, of all the hand sanitizers that are in purses and pockets these days, more and more of us followers of Christ, we can no longer say, I've never touched alcohol. We've done more touching of alcohol in the last two weeks than we can shake a stick at. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject, purer than pure ale. Right out of Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse number 8, purer than pure ale. You know, last week, speaking of pure, I had the opportunity to travel to one of the purest back countries in all of our nation, Salmon, Idaho. And, and as I traveled to Salmon, Idaho, I went to speak at a particular church uh, called Salmon Valley Baptist Church. Here's some pictures of that incredible, beautiful scenery. And Salmon Valley Baptist Church is in the middle of all these mountains that you see in these pictures, uh, right in the middle of, of many of these mountains. And as I preached at Salmon Valley Baptist Church, I told their pastor, Mike Palmer, I said, Mike, uh, I don't see how uh, you are able with this beautiful scenery, uh, to preach and hold people's attention. Do they not get distracted? Well, sure enough, as I stood to preach on that uh, Sunday morning, I found that myself, I was being distracted by the scenery while preaching. It is gorgeous. And I made a fuss about it. I said, folks, y'all have got some of the be most beautiful backcountry in, in our nation and I made a fuss about the snow-capped mountains and the snow cascading down the mountains and the, man, just the light hitting the snow and hitting the mountain. I mean, it's just beautiful. And after I made a fuss about it, not one, not two, not three, not four, but multiple church members from Salmon Valley Baptist Church approached me and sincerely apologized to me. They were apologizing to me because, and I quote, I was there during their ugly season. They went on and on about how ugly it was. One lady said this to me, she, and I'm quoting her. She said, I'm sorry that it's so ugly here. And then she lit into her pastor and said, look, you need to get Sam out here when it's pretty. It's just too ugly right now. Now, what, what did they mean? Because that was a consistent message I heard for four days. What were they saying? Well, here's the things that they said to me. You know, the clouds are, are hiding some of the glory of this scenery. You know, the snow is keeping us from getting to certain places that are even more spectacular. You know, it's just the weather right now. This season, this stormy, cloudy, gloomy season is keeping you from seeing the land in all of its glory. You know why? Because they've seen it in all its glory. They've seen it in that season where it's just even more spectacular. It's almost like that in times of stormy, gloomy cloudy seasons, the people of Salmon, Idaho doubt that their land is as pretty as they believe it to be. And then, 
when a different season comes, they're like, whew, it is as pretty as we thought. Have, have you ever been in a stormy, cloudy, gloomy season of doubts? Maybe doubts about God. Maybe doubts about your faith. You know, the truth is that every person within the sound of my voice has doubts. Even the stoutest among us doubt. Have you ever noticed all the the gigantic number of books that have been written to prove the existence of God. Why do we have those books? I mean, you go to the first verse of the, of, the, of, the, of the first chapter of the first book in the Bible, and it reads this way, in the beginning God. The Bible doesn't begin with some apologetic debate on whether God exists or not. It matter-of-factly claims, proclaims, in the beginning God. Yet we all doubt. Right? I mean, now sure, we may not talk about it in, in church or community or in small groups or we may not, but we all have our doubts in our private moments. So let me ask you a question. I know we want to see God clearly. We want to see God certainly. We want to have ironclad proof that this is really true. We want to know without a shadow of a doubt that this is true. But we all doubt. So let me ask you this. When is it that we are most sure about our faith? When is it that we're most sure about God? Isn't it in those times? Is it not in those times when we are serving one another, when we're loving one another, when we're being kind to one another, when we're forgiving one another, when we're loving God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourselves, isn't it in those times when we're engaging Scripture, reading the Bible, praying, journaling, meditating, sharing the gospel, having gospel conversations. Isn't it in those times when we are most sure about our faith? Now, why is that? Here's why. The purer we are in the Lord, the surer we are of the Lord. just happens to be how it is. The purer we are in the Lord, the surer we are of the Lord. Here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 5, verse 8. Let's listen to the words of our Lord. Here's how he said it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Father, I pray today that in an incredible, miraculous, fresh way, we will see you today. That you would purify hearts today. That people would trust in Jesus today. That, Lord, they would make decisions for you today. And, God, we give you all the glory and all the praise. In Jesus' name, and all the people connected said amen and amen. I have a takeaway that I want to drop into your heart. It's just kind of like this sermon in a sentence, this message in a statement, just something like that. And here's how I've worded it this week. Purity of heart leads to certainty of hope. Purity of heart leads to certainty of hope. The purer your heart, the surer your hope. Purity of heart leads to certainty of hope. This is the message of Christ in Matthew 5, 8. So I want to share with you five characteristics of purity that is purer than Purell. So here's number one. A purity that is purer than Purell is a purity that is in here, not out there, 
but in here, within, not without, inside, not outside. It's a purity that is in here. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Now, the word blessed simply means happy. Uh, and and, and the, the context of this is Jesus is speaking uh, to a first century crowd that never believed they could be happy. Like happiness wasn't on their radar. In this 21st century American culture, it's different, right? We expect to be happy. In fact, our, our battle cry, our declaration of independence is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? I mean, we expect it, and when we're not happy, we're not happy about it. And oftentimes we tie our happiness to what is happening. I don't know of anybody that's happy right now about what is happening. I don't know anybody that's giddy about the coronavirus. I don't know of any. Right? Because it's not a happy, we don't think of it as a happy time. Well, Jesus says, happy are those, blessed are those who are pure in heart. I've said to our church as we've been walking through these beatitudes, and by God's sovereignty we happen to be in this one today that offers a ton of hope for you. And so as we've walked through these, I've told our church, I said, listen, I, don't, I wouldn't be surprised it would hurt my heart, but I wouldn't be surprised if we walked through all of these and at the end of this series, you just shrug your shoulders like, eh, all right, Jesus. I mean, I expect to be happy anyway. I don't have to read this. That's my pursuit. That's American dream, to be happy. I don't, I don't, have, to, I don't have to pursue that anyway. But I suspect today, after the foundation of our society has been shaken, after everything that's normal is no more, I mean, no more. I mean, people are putting their hope in toilet paper. Toilet paper. Like, seriously? That, that's about, let me tell you, hope without Christ, that's about what you get, toilet paper. It's about what, because there is no hope outside of Christ. None. So as our world is falling apart around us, maybe we'll listen to Christ today. Maybe, just maybe, <laughs> we'll listen. Because Jesus, he doesn't have to say something. He has something to say, and he is saying it. And the way he says it is this way. Blessed are the pure. That means the undefiled, the unmixed, the undivided. Blessed are those who are in their heart, unblemished, undivided, unsoiled, unmixed. Not one who's serving two masters, one who's serving one. Purity, pure in heart. It means those who are clear of guilt and shame and fear. Let me ask, do you want a heart that's clear of guilt and shame and fear? <laughs> that's what Jesus said. Blessed are those who are clear of guilt, shame, and fear. That's what this beatitude is referring to. One who has a purity of heart. Blessed are those who are free from the spiritual virus of sin, which is more deadly as it can destroy the soul than some virus to the body that can only destroy the body. So blessed are those who are pure in heart. That's important. Jesus doesn't say blessed are those who are panicked in heart. He doesn't say blessed are those who are on pins and needles of heart. Or blessed are those who are petrified or paralyzed of heart. He says blessed are those who are pure in heart. He doesn't say blessed are those who have Purell hands, right? He doesn't say blessed are those who, who, who have sanitized hands. He says blessed are those who have sanitized hearts. See, the issue is not outside of our body. The issue is inside of our 
body. There's a community close to us here, Hickson, Tennessee, and I saw this story went viral. So it's, it's, a, young, it's a man who bought like 17 to 18,000 bottles of hand sanitizer to sell it online and make a profit, and many of those platforms have removed his page, and now he's got all these thousands of bottles of hand sanitizer. And I promise you, he has found no hope in that hand sanitizer. There is no hope in that. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who are pure, purel hands, for they shall see God. No, he says, blessed are those who are pure in heart. Why does he say that? Because God said in Ecclesiastes that he has put eternity in the hearts of man, not in the hands of man. Praise God, he has not put eternity in the hands of man, but in the heart of man. See, this was the Pharisees' problem. The Pharisees, they, they tried to trick, trip up, and trap Jesus all the time. And this was their problem. They would have been fine with this. In fact, this would have been the Pharisees' favorite beatitude if it stopped after pure. If it read, blessed are the pure, they would have been great with that. Because they had a list of rules they followed. Man, they had rules on what to eat, where to eat it, when to eat it. Rules on what to wear, when to wear it, where to wear it. Where to walk, how to walk, when to walk. They had all kind of rules, man, and regulations. And they followed them to a T. They made an A-plus in their rule-following fraternity. When I was 18 years old, I was lost. I was headed straight to hell. And I went to Oxford, Mississippi to go to school. And I'm not saying Oxford is hell, but I went to Ole Miss my first semester of, of, of college. And I was, so, I was the most immature 18-year-old ever to walk planet Earth. And I was lost. And so I went with my, my high school buddies were going to Ole Miss. And we all pledged Sigma Chi fraternity. And that first semester was my last semester. Because I made an A-plus in fraternity. We had tests and things we had to do. And they graded us. I had an A-plus in fraternity. And I had less than a 2.0 in my academic grades. Terrible. I flunked, failed out. I passed the fraternity. But failed at what really counted. That's the Pharisees. They made an A plus in religious rule following fraternity, but what really counted, they failed. Their hearts were far from God. They were not pure in heart. They may have been pure in hands and pure in body, but they were not pure in heart. You see, to be pure in heart means that you are pure from the inside out, not the outside in. See, this purity that is pure than purel, it's a purity that begins in here. It's in here, not out there. Second characteristic I want you to see that Jesus brings up here about purity of heart is it's a purity that is insulated, not isolated, but insulated. A purity that is insulated. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. In is very important for us to stand. It's a word that reminds us that we are in Christ, that Paul says, I'm in Christ. That's his position, his positional purity is that he was in Christ. And, and we can be insulated. And the purity of heart that Jesus is describing is not an isolation, but an insulation. See, oftentimes we think of separation as isolation. For us to be separated, we have to be isolated. Well, from a Christian perspective, it doesn't mean isolation. It means insulation. From the inside out, we are insulated with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are insulated. As we're cautious and careful and we're staying away from large gatherings right now, uh, we must also be careful to focus on the fact that we are insulated in Christ, not isolated from Christ 
or his church. From a spiritual perspective, isolation will never make us pure. Insulation of the presence of the Holy Spirit is what makes us pure. And why do we need to be insulated? Let me just tell you what the Bible says about the heart. Man, it is ugly. It's just ugly. Listen to what the Bible says, has to say about the heart. For he is inwardly calculating, like manipulative, wrong motives. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. In Jeremiah 17, the heart is de- deceitfully above all things and desperately wicked and sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. In Noah's day, in Genesis 6, 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. Matthew 15, 19, Jesus said, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander comes from the heart. Listen, there is something deadlier than the coronavirus or any virus. And that is an impure heart. You know, the Bible says that nothing unclean or impure will enter heaven. Nothing. And the heart is desperately impure and desperately wicked. And so it is a warranted physical reaction to the coronavirus to be isolated to some degree. That's a warranted reaction. But spiritually, it does no good for the condition of your heart. Think about it like this. Medieval monks. You know what the medieval monks would do? They wanted to be holy. They wanted to be uh, separated uh, for God. And so monks, they would travel to these desolate, mountainous monasteries to escape the corruption of the world. And they would go live there in these isolated places. But they had one problem. They didn't separate themselves from the corruption of the world. They took the corruption of the world with them in their heart. Isolation doesn't work. It's being insulated with the gospel of grace and mercy and peace and hope that only comes through a relationship with Christ. You know, this is what Jesus did, is it not? Jesus, when he put on flesh, he came to this earth and he was insulated. He came right down into our brokenness. He wasn't isolated, he was insulated. He was in the world, but he was not from the world or of the world. He loved the world, but he was not like the world. He walked among sinners, but he was sinless. He knew no sin, but he became sin and paid the penalty for our sin. He took on himself, on his body, bore it in his body, on the tree, your sin and mine. He died, but he's alive forevermore. And his death, he put death to death. And because of this great gospel and the resurrection of Christ and the fact that you can trust in him and be saved, this means that you can be insulated, not isolated. You can have purity of heart. It is not an impossibility for your heart to be pure. It is an impossibility for our bodies to be pure. They are a tent. They are temporary. They're fading away every day. If you don't believe it, look in the mirror. Fading every day. But our hearts, our hearts 
can be set right and pure. Number three, here's a third characteristic of a purity that is purer than purel. Number three, it's a purity that is practical, not political. Jesus makes this statement, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Jesus is talking about a group of people who have recognized they are sinners separated from God and they put their faith in Christ. Jesus is not being political here. He's not picking out a group because of race or because of some political agenda or because they are a part of some uh, heritage or money or popularity or clout. He is not talking about the Pharisees and they will see God or the Sadducees only, they will see God or the 12 only, they're the only ones that are going to see God. He's not being political here. He's being very practical here. That those who are pure in heart, they will see God. These are the ones who are pure in heart. Those who will see God. And those who see God are the ones who are pure in heart. The question is, how can we be made pure in heart? Great question. First way is positional. You have to have a positional purity. You have to come to faith in Christ. And when you enter into that relationship with God through His Son, you are in a position now to be in Christ because of His grace and mercy and love for you. He died for you instead of you and in your place. And when you trust in the work on the cross, God takes Christ's righteousness and imputes it to you that He became sin who knew no sin so we might become the righteousness of God. So you have a positional purity and that is only bestowed upon you by grace grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only God can do that work in you. But then there's a second way that we remain pure, and that's practical purity. Now, in this, we play some role in this. Once we're saved, it's called sanctification. As we grow up in our faith, it's not that we're saved by works. We're saved for works. The idea here is to cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now, is this easy? No, this is hard. It's not easy. That's why you need community. That's why you need to get involved in a church and get connected and get around people who are like-minded and think like you and can walk with you through difficult times because it's not easy. But it's how we pursue God and love one another and love God and serve Him. We have some practical ways you can do that even during this time. We have a benevolent offering that we take. It's available every week for you to give to the benevolent offering. And those dollars are going to go and help support our community kitchen and maybe even feed some children who are out of school over the next for however long. So you can actually practically, in a way, give and serve in those ways and practice that practical purity. Number four, here's the fourth characteristic of a purity that's purer than Purell. Number four, Purity that is biblical, not popular. This is not a popular statement. It's not a popular statement to say that blessed are the pure in heart, for they only will see, shall see God. Nobody else is going to see God, only the pure in heart. That is not popular. Just like Jesus is the only way, the only truth, the only life. That's not popular. To tell somebody that Jesus is the only way to the Father is not popular. It's biblical. That he's the only name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But that's not popular. But it is biblical. And you need to know that the Bible also says that there's not one molecule in all the universe that God is not sovereign over. And if there is, he's not God. God has no rival. No virus is a rival to God. He is the unstoppable God. And he can stop anything he wants to at any time he feels he needs to. It's not up to us, it's up to him. And meanwhile, as bad as things get, as good as things get, in all things, God is working for the good. 
(laughs) He wants you to stop and realize, hey, you don't have any control. And it's not that you ever had any control, but now you realize the illusion that you did have control was a lie. You are not in control of the next breath you breathe. You are not in control of that. This could be your last. Tomorrow could be your last day. Today could be your last day. That's why God has offered this gift of the gospel, this good news. That you don't have to die in your sin. You don't have to die with your spiritual virus of sin. You can be delivered, but it only comes through a relationship with Him. Now that's not popular. For me to tell you, you are sick, not physically, but spiritually, you are sick, and you are dying, and you're going to hell, that's not popular. (laughs) That's not a message you want to hear. I didn't want to hear it at 21 years old. I praise God I did because the Lord saved me. He rescued me from my sin. And He wants to do the same for you. So I want to encourage you again, if you trust Christ today, if you invite Him into your life, if you ask Him to forgive you of your sin, I want to invite you again to text us the name Jesus to 423-440-8555. Don't you wait. Don't hesitate. Call on the name of the Lord. He will save you right now. You don't have to wait till the invitation in a few minutes. You can do it right now. Purity that is biblical, not popular. Number five. Here's the fifth characteristic of a purity that's purer than Purell. Number five is, it's a purity that is secure, not insecure. A purity that is secure, not insecure. Jesus said it this way. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, I've never seen God physically. I've never experienced that. So what does it mean to see God? You know, how do we see an invisible God? He's invisible. Well, here's the good news. Jesus has made him known. You need to know that. That Jesus has made him known. Jesus is the exact representation, the exact imprint of God is Jesus himself. And Jesus said, if you believe in God, believe also in me. If you want to see God the Father, look no further than the cross of Calvary and see God the Son. What does it look like to see God in this life? You put your faith in Christ and you walk with him. He will save you and rescue you and you will be his child. What does it look like to see God in eternity? Well, here's what the psalmist wrote. Who may ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in the holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Hey, that's what it means (laughs) to, to, to know God, to see God in all His glory. Here it means a life Walking with Him and in eternity, it means a new heaven, a new earth, a new experience with God in all of His glory. You know, the truth is that Jesus, you can actually hear God louder than audibly, and you can see God clearer than visibly by putting your faith in Christ. 
I want you to know that today. You know, with all the cancellations going on, we've got Major League Baseball cancellations, NBA cancellations, NCAA cancellations, Masters cancellations. We've got in-person gatherings at churches like this that have been postponed and canceled. We've got county schools that have canceled. We've got private schools that are canceled. We've got universities that are canceled. Disney World, Disney World has been canceled. We've got all these cancellations happening. But you know what's not been canceled? Jesus building his church has not been canceled. Gospel conversations have not been canceled. Relationships have not been canceled. The good news, the gospel message has not been canceled. Worship has not been canceled. Peace, hope, joy, they have not been canceled. In fact, they've been highlighted. <laughs> they've gone to the top of your list. That's the truth. And Jesus is ready to save you if you will submit to Him and confess your sin. I, I know that you have a lot of fear in your heart. I know that this uncertain time is worrisome. I want to read something that was written 72 years ago. And I'm going to place the word coronavirus where the words atomic bomb would have gone. This is a, uh, something written by C.S. Lewis 72 years ago. And I know this is a serious time, but I, that was a serious time too 72 years ago. And I want you to hear uh, what C.S. Lewis wrote. And I'm going to quote. One way we think a great deal too much of the coronavirus. How are we to live in a coronavirus age? I am tempted to reply... Why, as you would have lived in 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year. Or, as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night. Or, indeed, as you're already living in an age of cancer, in an age of affliction, in an age of suffering. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the coronavirus was invented or came to be. And quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. We had indeed one very great advantage over our ancestors and aesthetics, but we have that still. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. This is the first point to be made and the first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If, we're, if we are all going to be destroyed by the coronavirus, let that virus, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pine and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about viruses. They may break our bodies, a microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds, end quote. Written 72 years ago. God has seen this before. He is not surprised. You know, I was the last one to board that plane from the flight from Chattanooga to Salmon, Idaho and last Saturday. And it was a little before 6 a.m. And as I walked toward my seat, I was having a conversation with the Lord. And I said, Lord, you know, your word says there's a time 
for everything, and a time for every season, and a time for every matter under heaven, and a time to keep silence, and a time to speak. I said, Lord, I feel like this is a time to keep silence so I can go to sleep on this plane. So as I walked to my seat, I noticed as I got there, there was a lady sitting in the window seat, and I was on the aisle seat, and she looked up at me, and she said, hey, could my son switch seats with you? He's sitting back there. He has an aisle seat too. And I said, well, as long as he has an aisle seat, I'll switch with him. I didn't say that, but I thought that, so might as well have said it. And so we switched, and I went and sat where he was sitting. And I sat down next to a middle-aged lady, and I was putting my backpack under, you know, the, the seat in front of me, and I was doing that. And she said, oh, my rings. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. And she said, oh, I, I see your rings on your finger. And I, I just remembered, I think I left one of my rings at my daughter's house in Chattanooga. And I said, Lord, this is a time to sleep. It's a time to be silent. Lord, let me go to sleep. And so I I, I laid back, closed my eyes, and then she asked another question. She said, are you traveling for business or pleasure? I said, I'm traveling right now to go to sleep. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I said business. And as I was real quick to the point, so I closed my eyes again. She said, well, I'm, I'm headed back home to Pennsylvania. I've been visiting my daughter in Chattanooga. And so I said, okay, Lord, this is not a time to keep silent. It's a time to speak. So I sat up. And we had about an hour and a half conversation uh, across our country to Salmon, Idaho, or from that point to Chicago, Illinois, to catch the next flight. And so she began to talk to me and share with me about her story and her family. And then she told me, she said, and my faith is strong. I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, three years ago, I had a life-changing experience. I said, well, tell me a little bit, little bit about that. And she looked at me, and she thought a moment, and she looked at me, and she thought a moment, and she looked at me and said, you know what? I think I can share that with you because I'll never see you again. (laughs) And so she started sharing that with me. And she said, you know, one day I was at a very low point in my house and I heard a knock on the door. And I don't normally answer the door, but I went and answered the door and it was two Jehovah's Witnesses there and they wanted to come in. So I invited them in and they had a Bible and they had some brochures and they were talking to me and we talked for a while and then came time for them to go and they left. Uh, But I had a Bible and so I started reading the Bible and over the next several days as she read the Bible she trusted in Christ and got saved by just reading through the Bible reading through John and got saved and they came back to visit and this 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 lady's a new believer she hadn't been to seminary she hadn't been to Bible school she's a new believer and they come back again and this time when the Jehovah's Witness come they have these brochures that they want her to look at And they sit down and they start talking about the brochures. And she says, I highly respect you guys. You came, knocked on this door at a very low point in my life. I thank you for that. I appreciate that. But I cannot buy into your beliefs. I cannot believe what you believe because what you believe doesn't match what the Bible says. Here's what happened in that lady's heart. As she sought God, she saw God. You seek Him, and you will see Him. There's this purity of heart that leads to a clarity of God. A purity of heart leads to a certainty of hope. A a, a purity of heart leads to a security of heaven. She knew the truth because she met Christ And she was able to distinguish the truth and the lie and distinguish the two. Listen, no one has ever seen God, the Bible says. The only God 
who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So today, I encourage you to open your heart. This purity of heart is going to lead you to a certainty of hope. Right now, I know you need hope. Our whole world needs hope. And that hope is found in Christ. John Newton, a former slave trader, uh, wrote Amazing Grace, but he also wrote this. In evil, I long took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on the tree in agony and blood. He fixed his languid eyes on me as near the cross I stood. If you'll look to Jesus, you will live. If you seek Him, you will see Him. You will find Him. He has come to seek you out and save you today. So right now, take out your phone and text 423-440-8555. I want to lead you in a prayer for anybody that would say, I'm ready to receive hope today. I want to lead you right now in a prayer to trust Christ as your Savior. He died for you. And He's made salvation available to you. So would you pray with me? Sir, man, boy, girl. Right where you're sitting, standing, whatever you're doing. Just pause a moment. And let's pray. If you would say, you know what I recognize today, I am a sinner. I can see that. I see I'm separated from God. And I want peace. Even in this pandemic, I want peace. Well, you can have it. Jesus is it. 